0: I would invite you to find in your Bibles Isaiah chapter 50. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible, if you're not familiar where that is, or dial it in on your phone, tablet, whatever you have, it'll also be behind me on the screen. As we begin this new Easter series entitled "Portraits of the Passion." If it's true that a picture is worth a thousand words, then the portraits surrounding the passion of Jesus could fill several books and they have but a portrait is a picture or a painting not of a landscape but of a person that captures who they are and hopefully what their character is like whether good or bad This past summer, I had the opportunity to be in uh, Washington, D.C., and while it was raining, we were outside and ran into one of the museums there, which happened to be the Museum of Art. And I was glad that we went in there because we saw all kinds of paintings that were amazing, that was drawn into the portraits, that looked so real, more real than even pictures, and the great detail, and we were able to get up right close and look at these. One of those portraits that drew me in was entitled Youth. This is from 1485. And I was looking at th- this and thinking, that looks so much like the youth of today. I wonder what was going through his mind, what he was thinking about, what kind of things he was facing, what he was like. And if you notice, he's even got a west side. He's doing with his hands there, it looks like as well. But thinking about this youth and what is he doing what's he like and in this portrait it's our desire along with the Greeks that came to Philip and asked him in John chapter 12 sir we wish to see Jesus interestingly though Jesus doesn't go speak to these men who are asking for him But responded, he said, Philip, go and tell these guys, he says in chapter 12, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Jesus, in the last week of his life, his passion his trial his crucifixion his desire during this time was not to make new friends he was not interested in befriending the Greeks he had one singular passion in mind and that was to go and die on the cross the ultimate reason that he came and our desire is to paint an intimate portrait of our savior in his passion because Jesus wants us to linger To look at him upon the cross. To soak in who he is and what he has done by gazing upward at him who is lifted up. I had the opportunity a few years back to be in New York City in Times Square. Several of the people that were with me decided as they saw these guys that were sitting there painting and, and making portraits of people that you could pay a hefty price to have yours drawn. And I thought about it, no, I don't need one. But as I looked in and saw how awesome these guys were doing it, and the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I said, okay, I'm going to get my portrait drawn along with the rest of you. And I sat there across from a man as he looked into my face, drew every detail that he saw, and about a half hour later, he turns around this portrait of me. And it was an amazing portrait that he had drawn. Except there was one thing wrong with it. It didn't look anything like me. And in fact, one of the guys who was with me said, that looks a lot like Tiger Woods. And if you look at me right now, you know I don't look anything like Tiger Woods. It was a great picture, but it wasn't accurate. It wasn't a portrait of me. And I think so many of us, we have an idea of who Jesus is, how we want to see him, and we draw a portrait of him in our minds and in our lives, and it's really Jesus were to look at it and go, that's actually not who I am. You're not thinking of me correctly. He wants us most importantly to look and to think about him in regards to his passion, the cross. That's the first portrait. A portrait of Jesus Christ and who he is. Secondly, in this series, we want to look at the different portraits of people. Characters like you and me, who some of them you see on the screen behind me. Their qualities, whether good or bad. What they were like during that Passion Week. Also, some intentional pictures happening during the Passion Week. Portraits of what was happening, what was going on, and who we are in light of the cross. Because that's how everything makes sense is if you could see your life in the light of the cross. That's why Rembrandt drew his self-portrait, as you'll see behind me. Now you're looking at that and thinking, that looks like Christ on the cross. You're right, the title of this is The Raising of the Cross. But if you notice the man that's raising it, and we'll zoom in here, he drew his own self-portrait, right, by the, the pierced feet of Christ. Rembrandt, knowing that he wasn't there physically, But he was one of the reasons, he was one of the people that actually nailed him to the cross and raised him there because he was a sinner along with you and I. So we want to see our lives in light of the cross and that helps our lives to make sense in light of it. Isaiah chapter 50, I'm going to start in verses 6 and 7 this morning. Jesus is speaking here. and He says, I've offered... My back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I know I will not be put to shame. This is the word of God have you seen an ultrasound picture before of course you have right someone's pregnant and they show you the ultrasound of the life that is living inside the mother that heartbeat that you hear the life that is present there but none of us ever say oh look how cute that is wow he's got dimples just like you He looks, she, he or she, I don't know which one, but it looks just like you do. No, nobody ever says that, right? Because it's fuzzy, it's grainy. You can't really tell what it looks like. You know life is there, but you're going to see it in its fullness as it emerges and comes into the world. Isaiah, and all throughout the Old Testament, are ultrasound pictures, types of a Messiah, a one who would Come. Although it's a little fuzzy, they don't know his name. It is clear that there is one coming who is going to bring salvation to the nations and ultimately to Israel and the whole world. So what we're looking at here is the third of the, of the fourth servant songs. pastor's gonna unpack the fourth song in a couple of weeks, but what these are is that ultrasound picture. The suffering servant, the one who is to come speaking. And we see this very clearly, and perhaps not any more clearly than any book than the book of Isaiah, but what they saw dimly We now see through progressive revelation who this prophesied one is, and it's the man, Jesus Christ. He did not stay in the ultrasound, and this particular section, though, is a little dim. We see this portrait of a confident servant, of a confident, suffering servant. And I want to ask us this morning, Sailorville Church, where is your confidence found? Not just in the next life? Where is your confidence found right now? What do you work out of every single day? What is the source of your confidence? And this morning, Isaiah is going to show to us a portrait of a confident servant, Jesus, and it's going to inspire us and help us to live through the confidence and in the confidence of Christ in this life. So we're all lacking confidence in one way or another. So let's look in and be encouraged by this today. Now the nation is rebellious, the nation of Israel, particularly the nation of Judah. And Isaiah is looking forward to a time where God has had enough and he says, you're going to go into exile. You're going to live in captivity in the nation of Babylon, And these are the things that you're going to be feeling. These are the things that you're going to be going through. And he's writing to them, answering questions that they have, and and then asking us and wants us to answer a question as well. Look at verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce? With which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins, you've been sold. Because of your transgression, your mother has sent you away. Here's the first question this morning that will inspire confidence in us. Has God abandoned me? Has God abandoned me? These people would be living in a foreign land and it would feel like all hope was gone. Now God acknowledges the reason they would be there is because of their own sin of worshiping idols, images of metal that they had made by their own hands, and now they'd be sent away to Babylon to be disciplined by God. Now the people know that they've messed up. They know that they've wasted an opportunity. And they start to question God and wonder, has God ultimately abandoned us? Is there any hope for us at all Have you ever been abandoned? Have you ever felt abandoned before? Have you ever felt this way that they would have felt? I have in just small ways, being left at a soccer game by my parents before the time when there was no cell phones and watched them driving away, screaming, don't leave me here, right? We've been in a situation like that before, but some of you, that's your life. Some of you have been through a divorce where you were abandoned. The pain, the hurt that comes from that, the abandonment of a friend. We care for you so greatly. We don't believe that God is finished with you, and perhaps you're feeling this way along with Israel. Has God forgotten about me? Is there any hope for me? And the answer of Easter is Yes, there's hope for you, and the answer is no, an emphatic no, that God has not abandoned you, and we can have confidence in that. And some of you are here this morning, you're thinking, listen, all these people around me right now, if they knew what kind of person I was, they would never let me in here. If they knew the things that I had done, there was no way they would shake my hand. I know the things that I've done, and I'm thinking, is am I too far gone? Am I able to be saved by God? Well, you're asking the right questions. Because God is able to save those who know they need salvation. And you're in the right place because we desire a Sailorville Church to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Broken people are welcome here, and we welcome you. This morning, and wants you to know that Easter says, God has not abandoned you. They ask, Where is your certificate of divorce? God says, Do you have a certificate that says I've divorced you, that I've left you? He says, No, you don't have one, and you never will, because I will not leave you. Now, let's see what the next question and answer is from God that He proposes. Look at verse 2. When I came, why was there no one? So he's saying, you, you weren't there when I came. When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By my mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn the rivers into desert. Their fish rock for, rot for a lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth their covering So the second question is this, is God able to save me? Is God able to save me? They're saying, is there any hope? Can we be saved? And the ultimate answer of Easter is yes. You can have salvation. And God says, listen, if I had the ultimate power in the universe, I had the power to redeem you, to buy you back. There's no debt that I cannot repay. My arm is not too short to rescue you. Have you ever helped someone whose arm was too short to reach something? Like a child is trying to reach for something in the kitchen. I say, Dad, come and help me. And I like to walk in and do one of those, oh, I can't reach it either. Yes, you can, Dad. Stop that. It's like, you're right, I can. My arm is not too short to help you. God is saying, you feel like I'm, t- I'm not powerful enough. you know that I'm the one that can dry up a sea? and turn it into a desert. You know that I'm the one that can bring light out of darkness, and I have, and I'm even the one that brings the dark of the night. I do it everything. I have every resource imaginable at my fingertips. Oh, I can save you. You're not too far gone. So has God abandoned me? No. Is God able to save me? Yes. And we can have confidence in both of those this morning. But where does that confidence come from? How do we know this for sure, that God hasn't abandoned me and that he is able to save me? Let's look at verses four and five. We transition here now into the servant speaking in the first person. Jesus is speaking himself, and this is what he says in verse four. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakes me morning by morning wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious and I have not turned away. God is saying here, yes, I can save you and it's going to be done through my perfect servant. It's going to be done through my perfect servant. In contrast to Israel, the true Israel, the suffering servant instructs the people in the Lord and listens to his instructions. As our Jesus, our Savior, woke up very early while it was still dark and went out to pray, To be instructed by the Lord, to hear from the Lord, to teach about the Lord, to teach about who he is, that he was God himself. He says, this is what you are to be doing, and this is what the servant is doing when you're not. And he says, I have not been rebellious. Now, these people were very rebellious, worshiping other gods, not living for him. And in contrast, the servant says, I have never been rebellious. I have not turned away. So Jesus, having never sinned, having never rebelled, is able to save a people who have. And so he is able to save through the perfect servant. Verse six tells us how the second way God is able to save. He says, I've offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I hid my face, I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, Through his willing servant, secondly, through his willing servant, God is able to save us, to save me. Jesus willingly offered himself to physical and public shame. He was not forced into it. He was not tricked into it. He gave his back willingly to be beat. He leaned forward and offered his cheeks to have his beard plucked out. He gave himself to being mocked and even to be spat upon. Now, we avoid pain. That's, we're really good at avoiding pain at all costs, aren't we? I mean, physical pain, if we know that something is going to hurt, we avoid that activity. And if we would have to endure it, we know what we need to take afterwards to help us with that pain, Right? I'm at the point now when I play basketball that I take preemptive ibuprofen, right? I know what's coming, and I know that I'm going to be hurting afterwards, so I'm going to do whatever I can right now to not feel pain. Yet Jesus willingly offers his back. And I don't enjoy being mocked, and neither do you. Certainly not spat upon. And yet Jesus offers along with his cheeks to have his beard plucked out, his own life to say, I will willingly endure being mocked and have your spit placed upon me. Why? Why would he ever do that? Well, I think we would first of all say that because of his great love for us, he was willing to do that. And that wouldn't be wrong. But I think Jesus gives us a deeper answer and maybe his ultimate answer in verse seven. Look at it with me. Jesus says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I won't be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint. I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is a sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment, and moths will eat them up. Here's why Jesus willingly gives himself to public humiliation and to physical pain. It's because of his confidence in his Father's plan. That's why he does it. He's so confident in God's plan and who he is that he's willing to endure anything. In this small little section where Jesus is speaking, he refers to God the Father as the sovereign Lord four different times. That sovereign, meaning the one who is totally in control. Isaiah pointed out for us in chapter 37 that God ordains everything. God plans everything, and God carries everything out. And Jesus' death on the cross was planned before the foundation of the world. Jesus says, I know that I'm going to experience disgrace in the short term, but long term, I will never be disgraced. I know I will not be put to shame forever, but I will be vindicated by God. How is he vindicated? His blood is applied for salvation to all who would believe. If you read the book of Acts, they talk about how God vindicated the son. He was raised from the grave. And he forever sits seated at the right hand of God, waiting to return. God the Father says, I've risen you from the grave. Everything's been paid for. There's nothing left to pay. Jesus Christ was vindicated. And so he resolves, knowing God's plan, knowing the future, to move forward in total confidence to God's faithfulness. He says, I have set my face like flint. I love that. That is so awesome. Jesus says, I've made my face like a stone. Nothing is going to detour me. I am going to go forward and accomplish this task, knowing that it's going to cost me everything. Luke 9, verse 51 says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You see this, Jesus living out this prophecy. He's going to die in Jerusalem. He knows the time is near and he sets his face towards it. In total confidence of what God had called him to do and in total confidence of who God is, Jesus goes forward. And we, listen to this, we are the beneficiaries of Jesus' full confidence in God. Because Jesus was fully obedient to God, we gain salvation through faith alone. Praise him! Oh my! What a glorious God! How good is he that I, a disobedient one, that has rebelled, am able to have salvation because Christ was obedient on my behalf. So God has not abandoned us. God is able to save us through his perfect and willing servant Jesus Christ. The second part or the last half of this of this chapter the prophet Isaiah turns now the questions to us. Israel's been asking the questions. Now God is asking the questions to Israel and beyond, to we who all hear this question. And he's saying, what is your answer going to be to my question? Look at verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? That's Jesus. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Will you follow, he's asking, will you follow this servant in his confident example? Will you follow this servant in his confident example? He says, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. He's inviting us to live the same way that Jesus did. That we can face whatever lies before us in total confidence in God's plan. That's what he's asking. He says, are you going to live this way? Are you going to listen to the servant? Are you going to look at your life and say, God might call me to temporary shame, but not ultimate shame? One day I will be raised from the grave. I will be vindicated by God. I will stand before him on the last day. So I want us to ask this morning, what am I missing out on in my life because I lack confidence in God? What are you missing out on in your life because you lack confidence in God? God gave me an opportunity to put this verse into practice just a few weeks back. I uh, was doing, working with some people, people that were very close to me. And there were some sins in their lives that uh, God's word was against, that he wasn't for. And I thought, well, let's just soft pedal this thing. I mean, I have a relationship with these people. Let's just do the bare minimum to get them on the right track. And then I read this verse, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced and I'll make my face like flint. And God said to me through his word, don't do that. You're lacking confidence in me. Declare me and my ways, even if it brings temporary shame and disgrace. And God enabled me through the power of his word and the power of his Holy Spirit to call these people to repentance. You know what? They didn't repent. And our relationship is now hindered, but God says, I saw that. I'm glad that you did that. I'm glad that you live out my word in confidence with me. You see, we are the beneficiaries of Christ's confidence in his Father's plan. But who in your life could benefit because of your confidence in God's plan? Who's watching you in your life? And people are. They're all watching. Kids, co-workers, they're looking and watching your life seeing if your life lines up with the claims that you make, to see if you're just a, a Sunday morning Christian or if you're all in willing to follow God in confidence. Is it your kids? Is it a, a co-worker that you're afraid to invite to Easter? Is it a neighbor that you're willing to, sh- that, uh, scared to share what you believe? Because that's gonna get awkward when I'm out shoveling, right? Right, he, this is gonna be our relationship is going to be, Weird. What is it that someone could benefit from you because of your confidence in God? Someone could come to know Christ because you were bold bold in the confidence in in God. Someone could see and be inspired to be more like Christ because of your confidence in God's plan. We don't have to see everything that's going on in order to trust God, right? Sometimes we want this itemized plan for our lives. Well, God, if you do this, tell me this, tell me this, then I'll be confident in you. No, God is calling us to live by faith and to trust his ultimate plan, even when we can't see it. I'm rebuked myself when I just think about my life over the last few years even, just thinking about this in ways that I wanted God to tell me exactly what he wanted me to do and then I would follow in confidence when God says, why don't you put your life on display and walk with me and trust me even when you can't fully see what's going on here. You know, the apostle Paul takes this very text and paraphrases it in Romans chapter eight. The suffering servant asks, who can condemn me? Where are, who, what, who can accuse me? What accusations can you bring against me? Does that sound familiar? Romans chapter eight, verse one, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Romans 10, verse 11, everyone who believes in me will never be put to shame. We don't need to know every detail, but to willingly follow God and his plan for our lives, trusting that he does have one. He's got an ultimate plan for the world, and he knows exactly every detail of your life, past, present, and future, and he says, won't you trust me just like Jesus did? Secondly, will you follow the servant as your confident savior? Will you follow the servant as your confident savior? Verse 11 says, but now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your flames and of the torches you've set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. What the, what the prophet here is saying is there's two options for your life. You can light your own path Or, you can follow the path that God, through Jesus, has lit for you. Will I let Christ lead my path? Will I follow his ways? If I don't, the end is torment. I had the opportunity to go to Uganda a couple summers back and had a a great uh, pastor that had grown up in Uganda, was born there, hasn't left much uh, since he's been there. Never even been on a boat before. And yet here he is serving the Lord in Uganda. And I was staying out at a village, and he invited me with a couple others to come have dinner at his house with he and his family. And he f- met me where we were staying, and he walked with me along the road in the light. It was still daytime, when we got to his house. We ate together, had a blast, encouraged one another, and then it was time to go. When we went outside, it was dark. And he said, we're not taking the road back. We're taking the path through the bush. No flashlights, nothing. They said, you're just going to have to follow me. And all these thoughts started going through my mind of, okay, people said it's not dangerous except for at night because that's when the snakes come out to hunt. Oh, wait, it is nighttime. All right. And so I was following him, watching his feet all the way, having no idea where I was. And then all of a sudden, we end up at a back gate of where we were staying, and we walk right in, and we walk through. On my own, I would have been completely lost. And this is what Isaiah is saying. You could try to light your own torch, walk your own path, try to trailblaze your own way, but life isn't gonna work out the way you think it would because you don't know the plan for your life. And ultimately, it's gonna end in destruction, in torment. Your path will not lead you to God. Only Jesus Christ can lead you to God. God. Left on your own, we die in our sins, in torment, separated from God, making a destruction of our lives forever. So, what was blurry to them in the Old Testament, but still enough for salvation, is so very clear for us. Trust in the confident Savior, Jesus Christ. You have to see yourself as Rembrandt did, you have to see yourself as one of the reasons that Jesus was crucified that your sins separated you from God. But he says, I haven't abandoned you, and I'm able to save you, why? Because the suffering servant was abandoned on your behalf so that you could have acceptance from me. He was obedient and you haven't been, and his obedience can be given to you through faith. And we can live in the confidence that comes with that. Father in heaven, we pray, we thank you that in your sovereign plan in your will, you sent the suffering servant to die on behalf of those who didn't deserve it. To bring us life that makes sense now. Not a life that is always easy or difficult, but often the opposite. But a life of of confidence. God, I pray for the one that's here this morning that knows you, that is living in fear, that isn't living in confidence that comes from knowing you. I pray, God, that they would see a fresh picture of your son Jesus on the cross and they would live out their calling, trusting your plan. God, I pray for the one that's here this morning that's trying to forge their own path, trying to light their own way with discouragement, frustration, and ultimately destruction. God, I pray that they would place their trust in the perfect and willing substitute, Jesus Christ our suffering servant. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.